For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. 1 Corinthians. This is the second longest letter in the New Testament, and it's, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago. The year was about 55, 56 AD, and it was a letter written to probably the rowdiest group of Christians that we read about in our Bibles, the Corinthians. Um, this group was having problems. There's no doubt about that. And yet, the Apostle Paul does not start off the letter by blasting them for their problems, but he starts off by thanking God for his grace. He says, when I think of you guys, I just think about God's grace. <laughs> and then he gets into a discussion, not about their behavior, but about their thinking. The problem was their thinking had not been transformed. They needed to understand God's wisdom, which doesn't make a lot of sense just from a natural perspective. We need God to open our eyes to help us to see things from his perspective, to learn to think like him. Spiritual growth is not a matter of just behaving. No, it's a matter of as our thinking is transformed, our behavior be becomes to be transformed more and more. And so they obviously had problems in their thinking. You know, they were having problems not because they weren't trying hard enough, not because there was something inherently wrong with them. It wasn't because they hadn't been Christians long enough either. Although the chronology here, they couldn't have been Christians for more than five years. Paul can't be writing this any later than 55 or 56 AD. He planted this church in 50, around 51 AD. And so the oldest believer in this group had been a Christian for maybe five years. A lot of them were in the three, four, five year range, plus whoever had come to Christ since he had left this group. So, but again, it wasn't because they hadn't been Christians long enough. You felt like three, four, five years should be enough time to see some pretty significant spiritual growth. Now, the problem was they hadn't allowed God to transform their thinking. That was the problem here in this group. They were still thinking like the culture around them. They hadn't learned to think in the new ways that God teaches us to think. And what Paul says is, guys, it's time to grow up. That's the point of this passage here tonight. You know, Christians whose thinking had, has not been transformed, you know, this wasn't just a problem in the first century AD for the Corinthian church. This, was also, this is also a problem in our culture today, too. People who walk around bearing the name Christian, and yet they, they don't look anything like Jesus Christ at all, the way that he lived. You know, Jesus said the most important thing is to love one another. There's nothing he hated more than hypocrisy and pride and self-righteousness. And yet, when people think of Christians, what do they think of? Do they think of, these are the most loving people I know? Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, no. Do they think of hypocrites, self-righteous? Unfortunately, yes. And if you're here tonight, you're a non-Christian, I'm sorry that these are the Christians that you've had to deal with. We got problems. And our, our thinking needs to be transformed. We need to learn to become a more loving, authentic, humble person. Christians should be the most authentic, loving, humble people that we know. And so it's a problem in our culture. I also wonder maybe it's a problem for some of us here tonight as well that our thinking has not really been transformed. I don't know if any of you can relate to this. Maybe you've been a Christian for three, four, even as long as five years. And yet you still find yourself thinking in old ways, ways that the, the ways you viewed things even before you became a believer. 
Has your thinking been transformed? Do the people around you view you as a loving, authentic person? Are your roommates saying, oh, thank you, God, that I get to live with this person? I don't know what this house would be like if this person wasn't living here. Is that what they're saying about you? (laughs) Or are they like, Lord, please give me the strength to deal with this self-absorbed, self-righteous person. (laughs) Lord, help me to get through this, this time until I can go be around someone who's loving and refreshing. Lord, what do I do? They're in another emotional tailspin. Do I, do I spend all this? How much time do I spend talking them out of this? How long do I listen to them complain about how people aren't loving them the right way? God, thank you that you use all trials for good in my life. <laughs> Even having to be around this person. That's not what we want to see. We want to see loving, transformed people who view themselves and the world from God's perspective. And that's what Paul might be saying, not just to the Christians and the culture at large, but to some of us here tonight. It's time to grow up. It's time to press on past the stages of infancy into mature spiritual adulthood. In chapter 2, we saw last week, I'll have to review just a little bit because this week builds on that. The Apostle Paul divides all humans into two categories. One he called the natural person. This is the person who does not have a relationship with God. The person who is spiritually dead. You know, we saw that you were born into the world, we have this, this vacuum, this, this God-shaped hole. You know, we've got our five senses, but then there's a sixth sense and it's broken. You know, we're born into a broken world. We have limiting understanding of this world, limited resources, time, energy. We have limited lifespan. We're dying. We have an aching loneliness that we walk around with wondering why is it that nothing in this world fulfills me? You know, this person may know there's a creator, but doesn't know how to bridge the gap. And so we long and we are unsatisfied and we, we, we hunger until we find our rest in God. And that's what Paul calls the natural person. He said last week, the natural person doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. Yes, it takes a spiritual life, spiritual sensitivity to understand the wisdom of God. And that's what the Corinthians were really having a hard time with. The natural person needs to receive God's spirit. That's what we said last time. And so this vacuum is filled with the spirit of God. And then we tra- we're transferred from becoming a, being a natural person over to being a spiritual person. That's the other type of person Paul talked about. The spiritual person He says, what we've received is the spirit who's from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. Yeah, how do you get the Holy Spirit? How do you come into a relationship with God? It's not not by paying some price. No, it's not by being a really, really, really good person. No, it's it's admitting I, I could never afford this. I could never pay the price. I could never be good enough. Only Christ, Jesus Christ, is the only one who's ever been good enough to deserve this. And he died in my place. God, please 
Give me your spirit. Please forgive me. And you can receive spiritual life. And so, he says, the spiritual person can evaluate all things. You get this new level of understanding of the world because you begin to see things from God's perspective with God's help. And so what happens, the spiritual person is forgiven immediately and permanently forever for all, every wrong you've done, past, present, and future. You're adopted as God's child where you have this new level of access to your heavenly father, a level of closeness where we can call him daddy. We receive the Holy Spirit who works in us and we talked about different ways the Holy Spirit works in us at the end of our time together last week. All kinds of things, transforming us, assuring us, encouraging us, teaching us, guiding us. We also gain access to a biblical worldview where we still have our five senses, but we have a, a sixth sense, the, the spiritual sense, ability to communicate with God, enhanced insight into his word. And so we can look out at the world around us and we, we have the rest of the picture. You know, we often go in, we go into the world and we have such a limited view. You know, we might look out at the world and we might be like, whoa, what is that? You know, it might make some guesses, you know, is this like the top of a can of paint? Um, is this some sort of a telescope? Is this a plate? There's something roundish. What is this thing? And there's only so far we can get simply by looking at one small piece of the puzzle and trying to reason out from there. But when we come, when we receive God's spirit and we receive his word and he begins to teach us, then all of a sudden he begins to flesh out the rest of the picture and you can say, oh, it's a cat with sunglasses. <laughs> I never would have guessed that that was a cat with sunglasses unless I got the rest of the picture. That helps me to, I mean, the, the piece I saw looks the same as before, but now I see the rest of it and I see how that piece fits in and I see how I fit in this world and I see my purpose and I see my relationship to God and I see my relationship to other people and God begins to teach me what's important and what's not. That's what God wants. He wants to teach you the rest of the picture, the whole world view. And so it sounds a little narrow-minded, but scripture divides all humans into these two categories natural people and spiritual people. Jesus said the way is broad that leads to destruction, the way is narrow that leads to, to life. He says there's only two ways. And so, are you a natural person or a spiritual person? Have you received God's spirit? I think you would know if you had. It would have to come th through a relationship with Jesus Christ, through what he's revealed here in his word. Any other path is not the path of the spiritual. You're interested in spiritual things, become a spiritual person. God offers it freely. He wants to lead you into this too. He wants to lead you into a spiritual life. And so we've got two categories. But now in chapter three, Paul goes on to make a further division within this spiritual category. That not all spiritual people live the same kind of a life. Remember we said last week, some people become Christians and they seem to just have joy and transformation and victory, and other people seem to live lives of defeat, even though they're Christians. What is the difference? Well, Paul's going to explain three more divisions. He says, yeah, you've got the natural person, but within this spiritual category, 
you've got what he calls the mature person. He mentioned this person last week in chapter 2, verse 6, where he said, when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. The Corinthians were like, oh, why didn't Paul give us a little more uh, depth when he was here, like all these other sophisticated teachers? And Paul's like, look, okay, I brought some wisdom. I was very limited in how much I could bring because you guys simply weren't mature enough. I, I gave you as much as you can handle. You know, the mature spiritual person is a person who is really living out who they are is really taking advantage of God's truth that he has given, is really learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, to depend on the Holy Spirit, is becoming transformed, they're becoming more loving, they're becoming a deeper thinker, a spiritual thinker. They're becoming a, a person who's authentic, a person who is like Christ. It's a very attractive, very joyful, awesome life of victory. That's what God wants for you. That should be the normal Christian life. But he says, when I was there, you guys were not mature. He says, no, you were spiritual infants. You were babies. You had just been born. You had just begun this new life, this new spiritual life. Let's talk about infants here. It's a second type of person. These infants... You know, they're real Christians. They really have the Holy Spirit. They're just young. And so he says in 3.1, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would talk to spiritual people. You know, they were spiritual people, but he couldn't really talk to them like spiritual people because I had to talk as though you were fleshly or as though you were infants in Christ. You guys are just so little. You're babies. You, didn't, you barely knew anything. I, I had to adjust my content level to where you were at. You don't, you don't sit down with a baby and start teaching them calculus. You start with the ABCs. You start with basic sounds, actually, before you even give them letters, a few words. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. You don't give a baby steak. You don't give a baby, you don't put hot sauce on anything that you feed a baby. <laughs> that will mess them up so bad. They can't handle that. He says, no, I, I had to just give you the most, the most rudimentary teaching when I was there with you. What are infants like? Hmm, they're really weak. Babies are so weak, they can't even hold their heads up at first. You gotta be careful holding a baby because if you don't hold the head, the head will just flop back. They don't have neck muscles yet. You know, they, they can't fight back. You know, you ever try to arm wrestle a, a three-week-old? Three it's pitiful. <laughs> you know, if, whatever they have, you can just, you know, they got candy. It's so easy to take it from them. Uh, you can take, you know, it's, it's as easy as something easy. Um, babies, they need someone to feed them. And then they need someone to burp them afterward. You don't just expect them to get something out of the cupboard to know what they can eat and what they can't. No, you got to strap them into this thing, this seat. You got to, you know, stick a bottle in their mouth. Or maybe if they're really advanced, you kind of got a little spoon. And you're like, here comes the airplane. Open up the hangar. And afterward, you got to throw a towel. You got to kind of whack them on the back until they burp because they, they swallow all this air because they don't really know how to swallow things. 
And then if you don't, if you don't burp that out, they get all this pain as the air passes through their intestines and then they have even more gas than they would normally. And so you got to burp them. You got to catch the, the stuff that comes up when they burp and then, then they're good. Till the next feeding a few hours later. They can only handle the simplest foods. Yeah, they, you know, it's like, it's like formula or mother's milk. And then maybe you start introducing the most basic, you know, it's like rice mixed with water. And, you know, then you're, you're slowly introducing baby foods, which is like one thing pureed. And if, if you do more than that, they, you know, they freak out. Their, their, their bodies, just, they, just, they just can't handle it. Constant diaper changes. They don't have control over their bowels. You know, things just go right out. They... They work up to, to control down in that area, and it takes, it takes years. It can take many, many years. They don't know when to sleep or even wake up. Babies, it's like they are awake all night and they sleep all day if you let them get on the wrong schedule. They can't dress themselves. You gotta, you gotta dress them, and then you gotta change that when they mess that up. They're really gullible. If babies don't see you, they don't think you exist anymore. Like you disappear around the corner and they start crying because dad is gone. You know, peekaboo, it's like, you know, you hide your face and you're like, peekaboo. And they're like, oh, oh. that was crazy. <laughs> they start crying as soon as they feel pain. They're not like, oh, this will pass. I can handle this. No, they cry so much. Pain, they cry instantly. They start screaming and throwing tantrums. They can't reach stuff. You gotta reach it for them. They can't even talk. They definitely can't read or think deeply about anything. They're easily distracted by shiny things or toys that make noise. No self-control. You know, as they get a little bit older, they will punish, bite, hit, pull hair, um, you know, just because they're mad because that person took my toy. And so I'm going to attack them. (laughs) Everything is about them. Everything is interpreted in terms of me, me, me. That's what human babies are like. But it's okay because they're just babies. And they're cute, and we know it takes time to grow up, right? So we put up with it because we know this is a phase. They're going through a phase. It's totally worthless. There's something sort of endearing about this. Um, but, and I know that someday they're going to be a grown-up, and I'm going to look back on this and appreciate that I stuck it out with them and helped them to grow up. And Paul is making an analogy here. He's not just talking about human babies. He's talking about spiritual infants, infant Christians, the brand new believers. You know, when he was in Corinth, he wanted to talk to them like spiritual grown-ups, but he couldn't because they were such new believers. There was only so much he could hit them with. You know, it's pretty cool to see a new believer, you know, uh, reading the Bible for the first time, getting it for the first time, you know, praying for the first time, understanding grace, you know, the first time they mess up and then they experience forgiveness and they're like, whoa, this is awesome. You know, as they explore this new relationship with God and they just, they sense God speaking right to them. And, and it's, it's really, it's cool to see somebody 
getting these truths for the first time, kind of like seeing the little baby take their first steps. And you're like, yay, I'm so excited. You took a step. Paul says, you know, I had to feed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for anything stronger. And so he was, he was happy to do that back when they were babies. But he says, you know, these are real Christians. They have the Holy Spirit. They were just starting to learn the basics. He had to adjust his expectations. But now they've been Christians for three, four, five years. And he sees a major problem. He says, I had to feed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for anything stronger. But guys, you still aren't ready. You still aren't ready. You've had plenty of time to grow up, but you've never gotten past the maturity level of a spiritual infant. I can tell by the way you think, and I can tell by the way you act, he says. You're still fleshly. You can't handle solid food. You're jealous. You're fighting with each other. Look at your relationships. Look at how you treat each other. Exhibit A and B, that you guys are big babies. You've not grown up like I had expected you to. Doesn't that prove you're fleshly? Are you, aren't you living like mere humans? You're living like, you're acting like natural people. Like people that don't have God's spirit. What is wrong with you people? How could you be so immature three, four, five years into your Christian life? He creates another category here. We have the mature, we have infant Christians, and now we have the still fleshly Christians. Some of our interpretations say worldly. So these are the fleshly Christians. Fleshly is probably a better, a better word, translation. It's kind of a strange word, but you know, it's, it's the word he normally uses for flesh, which is sort of like the part of us that is, a, is opposed to God. There's part of us that's opposed to God that hangs on even after we become Christians. Scripture calls the flesh. There's always a battle between the flesh and the spirit, Galatians says. But some Christians are more controlled by the Holy Spirit. Some are really seem just controlled, dominated by the flesh. That part, that other part. You look more like you used to be before you were even a Christian. You're fleshly, even though you're a Christian. What are fleshly Christians like? Here's another category for us. Fleshly Christians. These are also real Christians. They have the Holy Spirit. They have every bit as much Holy Spirit as the mature Christians and the infant Christians do. It's not like you get more of the Holy Spirit as you grow up spiritually. No, the Holy Spirit gets more of you. The Holy Spirit gains more control in your life so you're guided by Him. Now these fleshy Christians, they've got the Holy Spirit. The problem is they still act like babies. And babies, babies are cute. You know, here's a baby. But the problem is they're old enough to be grown up, so it just isn't cute anymore. What used to look like this looks more like this. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't understand that deep truth. They're being mean to me. I'm in pain. Wah! 
fleshly Christians. What if a grown-up acted like a baby? What would that be like? How strange would that be, you know? What if they also had a limited diet and they needed to be fed? What if they would just go to the fridge every day and grab a bottle of formula to start drinking away? You know, and after they're done, you got to give them a hug and try to whack them on the back until they burp. You know, or maybe you're stirring up a little bit of rice cereal for them and you're like, okay, now open up the hanger. Here comes the airplane. Come on, you got to go to college today. Come on. You got biology coming up here. What if they started crying whenever they felt pain? Wham, I'm a little bit cold. This person's not loving me right. I have to serve someone. I have to study. <laughs> what if they're really gullible like babies? What if the moment they couldn't immediately see and feel God working, they started freaking out and wondering, I wonder if God's really even there. It's like dad walks around the corner and they're like, there is no dad. Dad is gone. Dad has let me down. Dad has abandoned me and my, oh, there he is. Wait, there is no dad. Where is dad? Why dad, why? Oh, there you are. <laughs> it's like you're losing your faith every other day. Um, they forget who they are. They don't know where they are. They, they'll believe pretty much anything that comes along. You know, they read something on the internet, they're like, whoa, maybe this really is the, the truth here. You know, this new book, oh man, I wonder if heaven's really like that. They can't talk, read, or even think deeply. You know, what if the, the, the most advanced they could do is a picture book where everything on this page starts with the letter A and everything on this page starts with the letter B and this page, it's the letter X. There's only a xylophone and an X-ray. And they simply, if you get beyond single words that start with letters of the alphabet, they just, they're lost. You know, if there's not enough pictures, I can't read this book. I only read comic style books and books with lots of pictures. They can't process anything that develops a complex thought. They don't know, they don't know anything. They don't have a framework to fit it into. No self-control. You know, I want to do something, I just do it. You know, it's like I can't hold back. Uh, you know, if ever they got to use the bathroom, they just go right there. If they ever feel like saying something, they just say it. If they feel like doing something, they just do it. Because they're babies, and that's what babies do. Vengeful. Hold on to grudges for a long time. Can't forgive. Don't want to forgive. They feel like they should be treated better. They don't forgive like, like Christ forgave them. You know, in short, everything is about me and interpreted in terms of me, me, me. And the rest of the people around you, are, they're not sure what to do with that. You know, they're not your parent, but you're acting like a baby. 
And so they're just, they're, they're just not sure what to do. That's what it would look like if a grown-up acted like a baby. And unfortunately, you can see how this translates over to our spiritual lives. It's like, you should be, you've been, you've been a believer for four or five years. You should be reliable. You should be a person who daily is grateful. You should be living in a world of gratitude. You should be, you should be joyful. You should know how to handle suffering. You should, be, you should be a stable person. You should know your word. People should be able to count on you. You should be leading by now. And instead, people are coming around, changing your diaper, trying to talk you back into reality, trying to talk you out of walking away from God once again, trying to point out why you shouldn't just be feeling sorry for yourself, because after all, God so loved you that he gave his only son, and you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And you're walking around feeling like, why does nothing good ever happen to me? Come on. It's time to grow up. It's time to start living like a spiritual person. It's time to start acting like, stop acting like a baby. Two tests he gives for spiritual maturity here. First of all, can you handle solid food? So there's a, there's a mental test. How tough is your mind? Babies can't handle more than the simplest truth. He said, I had to give you milk, not meat. They're easily tricked by false teaching. They don't know the scriptures. They don't know where anything is. They don't read their Bibles. They're like, yeah, it's, uh, I think Peter said, um, yeah, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. And you're like, no, what? <laughs> Ephesians uses the same analogy. He says, we need to grow up, and then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. So easy to blow them into, into false teaching, into heresy. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So you notice there, he starts with your doctrine, your thinking, your ability to assess truth, your knowledge of Scripture, and then he moves on over to your practice. Doctrine and practice, right belief, right actions. He says, love, you, you become a person who, you don't just know the truth, but you know how to communicate the truth in love. You know how to love people within the bounds of the truth. And you become more and more like Christ. There it is. We grow up into him who is the head. The same connection Paul makes later on in this book. He says, in this great chapter on love, the greatest chapter on love in scripture. He gets to the end and he says, look guys, when I was a baby child, same word here for infant, I talked like an infant. I thought like a baby. I reasoned like a baby. I had baby thinking. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He says, I grew up, so should you in my thinking and in my loving of people.
Can you handle solid food? The other thing is, are you putting the truth into practice? He goes on, he says, you're still fleshly. How do I know? Because you're jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are fleshly? Doesn't that prove that? Just look at your relationships. That's how you can tell if a person is a baby or not. Are they acting like a baby in their relationships? Constantly, I want what they have. That kid took my toy. Oh, they got a better bike than me. Give me. And they take it and they hit and they bite. That's what kids do. Adults are a little bit more sophisticated, but not, not that much. Are you putting the truth into practice? Do people feel loved by you? Really? Are they just so grateful that God has put you in their life because you're so loving and so giving, so reliable? They can always count on you to be there with a good attitude, serving, humble. Are you learning to resolve conflict? That's, you're going to have conflict when you get up close with people. You learning to work things out? That's what God wants to help you learn to do that. Are you speaking the truth in love, as that passage in Ephesians said? Are you, you know, sometimes love is, is challenges people. It says the hard word, but we do it in a loving way, not in a, not in a you know, a way that's condescending or impatient. No, it's gentle, it's firm, but it's gentle and it's patient. Are you competing or supporting? Yeah. Are you trying to lift the people up around you or are you trying to push them down? Are you trying to get them to serve you? Hebrews 4 is another very similar passage. It says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. It's like they just can't handle the hard stuff. But solid food is for the mature. Same language as this passage right here. Yeah, the mature, they can have solid food. So it's the doctrine, but then it moves over to who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so it's not just that they think a certain way, but they act on what they know. And they live out the truth. And they speak the truth in love. And they, they put the childish ways behind them and they grow up and they love other people. There's a toughening. There's a maturing that is worked out in the context of personal relationships. Can't be done from an ivory tower. It's hard to, you read commentators and they spend all their time in the, in the, in the library and they, they miss the meaning of passages a lot of times. They miss the important things. Let's talk about how to grow up practically. Paul says grow up. How do you grow up? Simply waiting, time does not make you grow up. Neither in the real world, but especially not in spiritual things. Some people are sitting around me like, man, I'm like, I've been a Christian longer than anybody here. I must be the next leader. Nerf! <laughs> That's not how we measure things. It's not a seniority system. This is not like the union or something. Or <laughs> if you've been here X number of years, this is your new role. No. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's measured in terms of what we're talking about in this passage. Can you digest solid food and are you a loving person? The first step is to become a Christian. 
Spiritual growth starts with spiritual birth. If this is appealing to you, this kind of life that we're talking about last week and this week, God offers it free of charge. But the starting point is new life. You need to become spiritually alive, and that's, that's from asking Jesus Christ into your heart, asking him for forgiveness, telling him, I want the new birth, and he will give it to you. It'll be like nothing you've experienced before. Now, once you're alive, then you can start to grow. And so try to work up to a more advanced diet. Now, you, you got to start where you are. That's how it works with food. But you can sort of try to work your way up to more advanced solid food. I, a couple, here's some good goals I think you should have. I think you should, you should have read the whole Bible. That's a great place to start. Set a goal where I've read the whole Bible. I remember as a pretty young believer, a guy during a teaching, I'd been, I'd been, a, I'd been a believer for maybe two years, and, and a, the teacher was like, you know, when I was a young believer, a teacher said, you should set a goal of reading through the whole Bible. And the teacher was like, and so I did. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, yeah, that's my new goal. Read through the whole Bible. If you've never done that, you should do it. Conversant with major Bible doctrines where you don't, haven't just read the Bible, but you, you, you're starting to learn your theology. You've learned how really brilliant theologians have fit all the pieces together over the years. You know, the Bible teaches a certain thing about the Holy Spirit, for example. You know, what are the different passages that talk about the Holy Spirit? Who is he? What does he do? How does he interact with the Father and the Son in this world? Those are the sorts of things. You, sh- you should have passages coming to mind for these different areas of theology. You know the big picture. You know the, the big storyline that runs throughout the Bible. And then, once you know the big picture, then the individual pieces start to make a lot more sense as they fit up into it. You're familiar with how to interpret Scripture, principles of sound interpretation. You don't just read it and see how I feel. That's not a good way to interpret the Bible. No, there's a certain way to interpret Scripture. It's it's common sense, but at the same time, it it needs to be learned. There's a disciplined, principled way to interpreting the Bible. Able to assess other views. You're aware that other people might have different views on Scripture. You want to get to the point where you know what those are? And you have an analysis of them. You can see the problems in them. How they've missed this, they've overemphasized that, and they've totally neglected this. And so you have a thoughtful critique of other views. And you know your own areas of weakness. You know, you know, I'm still kind of weak when it comes to the study of the end times, and I know I need to do some reading on that at some point. Or, you know, for a while I was pretty weak on the whole area of how did the Bible come together, and how do we know that the things in the Bible are really the things that should be in the Bible? And so I had to study it because I just knew that was a weak point in my knowledge. So try to work up to a more advanced diet. This would be a pretty good goal here. You, you want to be it where you're self-motivated and continually growing, where you're motivated and, you, and nobody has to tell you, are you reading your Bible? Because you're just constantly pushing yourself. That would be a really good level of maturity. I'd call that a spiritual grown-up. How to get there... Develop a habit of reading scripture. You've got, to get, you've got to develop this habit at some point, and when you lose the habit, you've got to get the habit going again. I think a Bible reading plan is pretty good. There's all kinds of options. I, I can recommend several to you if you'd like. My first one, I just stuck a bookmark in Genesis, a bookmark to be in either the New Testament and one in the Psalms and one in the Proverbs, and every day I'd read 
you know, one or two chapters out of this one and a chapter out of that and, you know, half a chapter out of that. And I, if I felt like reading more of this, I'd do more of that. And I wouldn't read the others. So it was pretty flexible, and I think I needed that when I first got started. But I've been on all kinds of different reading plans, and different plans work for different people. I think you should set some goals to read other spiritual books, too. My wife is really good at this. She has a timer every day. She reads her Bible, and then she sets a timer for 15 minutes, and she reads a spiritual book for 15 minutes. You'd be amazed how fast you can read through spiritual books that way, how many you can read. I go in and out of that habit. Uh, I have to read a lot of spiritual books for my teaching here, but that's, it's still not enough. I need to get back in this. You've got to recognize when you've fallen off the wagon and get back on. That's another thing you've got to do. Uh, take a class. We've got all kinds of classes here. They're great. Some are very short. Some take as long as a whole quarter, but um, <clears throat> there's even some more advanced classes available for uh, certain uh, workers in our home churches. Um, classes are a good way to learn something. You can have a teacher and fellow classmates pushing you forward. And showing up at meetings like this, your home church, sitting under the Word, listening to good Bible teachers as well. You can download all kinds of podcasts and different websites. Um, those would be great ways. These are, these are things I've done throughout the years, and they've gone a long way in helping me become somebody who knows his Word. Now, putting what you know into practice, that's the other step here. That's the second step. And, you know, there's sort of a, um, an interesting synergy that happens when you read the Word and either do or don't put it into practice. You know, if you read the Word and you don't act on it, then it leads to confusion and demotivation. And that makes you want to act on it even less. And that leads to more confusion and more lethargy, and even more inaction. And just reading the Bible and never acting on it can actually be unhealthy spiritually. C.S. Lewis, in his book Screwtape Letters, talks about God's enemy's perspective on this. And he says, you know, this, this new Christian, he says, let him do anything but act. The more often he feels without acting, the less he'll be able to ever act. And in the long run, the less he'll be able to feel. So he's like, that's great. He's reading his Bible but not acting. He's going he's gonna to be doing terrible in no time. On the other hand, this can work in the opposite direction. If you take action on what you read, then you get insight. You see, oh, wow, that was true. Oh, so that's how that works. You get more motivation. That makes you want to act more. And that leads to more insight and more motivation and even more action and then you become the kind of person that puts the word into practice and understands it because of, because of practice. You've had your senses trained to discern between good and evil, like that Hebrews passage said. So how to grow up, put what you know into practice, start wherever you're at, and act on it. Are there scary ways God's calling you to trust him? If so, why not trust him enough to act? He says, you say you trust that chair will hold your weight. Why don't you sit on it? And you'll see that it really does. Determine to keep serving even when it doesn't feel good and you're suffering. That's something you can just decide ahead of time. Look, I'm not going to feel good every single second of every day. I can still serve even when I don't. And that's, that's just a general part of growing up. But spiritually, it's very important. Determining to keep doing the right thing even if you're suffering and not wondering if maybe I should quit doing this altogether. Learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. Practice gratitude. 
I think this is one of the most neglected practical steps. You talk to, have you ever talked to somebody that's doing bad spiritually that is daily thanking God for things? I recommend, I've, I've talked to counselor friends that have gotten so much mileage out of this. I recommended this to people every day. Start your day by thanking God. Try to think up 10 things that you're thankful for. And keep going if, if you can think of more. You might not be able to get to 10 the first day, which shows, it shows where your perspective is at. But, but learn to practice gratitude. Thank God for things. Start praying for others consistently. Start making a little prayer list. Keep it short. Try to pray for people every day, even if it's only a minute. And uh, let that grow as you see more needs. Drop your love demands. Stop going around complaining about how people aren't loving you the right way. And instead, learn how to be the kind of person that loves others the right way. Just if you, if you change your expectations, you might be a lot happier. And you're going to be a lot more in tune with reality. You're going to be living like Christ. And you're going to be practicing the word. And so, in conclusion, like I said, this, is, this has been a... A study on spiritual growth, but spiritual growth starts with spiritual birth. And that's the next step for some of you here tonight. You know, as far as your growth and your, and your spiritual life, you'll get out of it what you put into it. If you put in nothing, you get nothing. But if you invest in the Word, if you put what you learn into practice, what you'll start to see is you start to see yourself growing. You'll start to see yourself getting tougher. You'll start to see yourself getting more stable, more joyful. You're more loving. And you will begin to have an, a transforming effect in the lives of other people. A continual diet of learning and action is a crucial part of your spiritual growth. And it's never too late to start. It doesn't matter where you're at now. Just start. Start heading in the right direction. If you keep taking a step in the right direction every day, you're going to end up getting somewhere that you're really going to like to be. And that is 1 Corinthians 3. It's time to grow up. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, thanks that um, you're really there. You want to rescue us, God, from the plight that we're in. Thanks that you offered your son on the cross for us. Thank you that he, his death can bring us spiritual life and that we can be raised with him somehow, God. I thank you that your spirit supplies the power for this growth and that it's your truth that fills us with the right perspective, God. God, I pray you'd help us to know what our part is and to do that part. I pray you'd help us to rely on you and your perspective and your part in this whole thing as well. And I pray that we can patiently and gently and lovingly help one another along on this process of spiritual growth toward becoming mature Christians, God. Amen. This study was recorded at Zenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.